Welcome to The Playlist Podcast. I'm Charles Barfield, Managing Editor of The Playlist. And for this episode, I have a recent interview I conducted with Jeff Loveness, the writer of the small indie film Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. You may have heard of it. All kidding aside, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is the third film in the Ant-Man franchise and is perhaps best known right now as the film that really introduces Jonathan Majors as the next big Marvel bad guy, Kang the Conqueror. In addition to Quantumania, Loveness is already hard at work on his next Marvel project, the script for Avengers The King Dynasty, which is expected to arrive in 2025. Not so bad for a guy who wrote for Jimmy Kimmel Live and Rick and Morty. In our interview, we cover quite a bit about Quantumania. I will warn you, there are spoilers that are discussed, but anyone who is worried about spoilers has had a couple of weeks to check out the film, so that's on you. We spend a lot of the time talking about the villains of the movie, specifically King the Conqueror, and how Loveness came to figure out the best way to introduce a character who's best known for having a million variants and living across various timelines and multiverses. We also talk about MODOK and the changes the character experienced while being adapted for live action. And finally, we discuss as much as we can about his next project, the aforementioned Kang Dynasty, and what it's like writing the follow-up to one of the biggest films of all time. But before I get to the interview, I got to tell you the Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the fourth wall, Deep Focus, The Discourse, Bingeworthy, and more. And if you want to find us, you can check your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, or anywhere else you find your favorite shows. Okay, without any further ado, here's my interview with Jeff Loveness, the writer of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which is in theaters now. Enjoy. Let's start with, with talking about... Uh, writing for a film because writing for a film typically means that you're sending over a script the director takes it makes changes actors make changes and then eventually in a couple of years you see it and you're like oh well i hope most of my script's still there but marvel it's a little different right like they have you kind of every step of the way because like a script's a living document basically from what i can gather um, yeah yeah i mean it's 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 almost like you're on a football team or something it's like this is getting made like we are making this in about a year and a half and like we got sets to build. We got to do scouts. We got to make sure all those CGI goo guys have their right looks. So like that was kind of the, it, it reminded me a lot of uh, working at a late night TV show. I was at Jimmy Kimmel for many years and um, the like there is, there's an energy about it, about like, oh yeah, these people make TV every single day and like they know what they're doing. And like, you got to get that done by five o'clock. And like you were it, it really kind of got the comedy writer like discipline into you. <laughs> and so at Marvel, I mean, it's kind of a bit of both because you do write the whole thing, but there are going to be, you know, the, the costume doesn't work that way. So we can't bend his elbows <laughs> or, or like, oh man, the, we accidentally, instead of dirt shoveled in actual manure for this giant battleground set, <laughs> like we have to, <laughs> let's write less dialogue here. <laughs> so we have to shoot here less. Like that was the fun thing of like, oh, you actually got to kind of, you know, you wrote the whole thing beforehand, but then there's little audibles you call on the day. And no one was better at, at that than like Jonathan Majors when we would just, you get to have him there and like talk about the character and find little words or little pauses or little periods to put here and there. That's kind of the spark of it too. It was like really fun to kind of be in the moment as it went along. So I know you're writing King next, but do you feel like you're a little bit spoiled as a writer now? Because next time you write for a movie, you're probably not going to get that type of access where you're on the on the set just as much, you know, calling plays to stick with the analogy. Oh, yeah. I, I'm a spoiled little French prince in the 17th century, <laughs> just licking sugar off of my fingers. No, I mean, it, that was the thrill of like just getting a real swing at the bat of one of these movies and like being able to work with just the best people in the world every step of the way, like from production designers to the costumers, like 
that's the fun of you realize like, wow, hundreds of people are working on this. Those, those carpenters are building that set that's going to go up in a week's time and then painters are going to come in and make it. So, I mean, oh yeah, absolutely spoiled. I felt so lucky and so like um, swept into it all. But I mean, then there's also the fun of like, it is kind of the same thing as making a movie with your friends. <laughs> I, I used to make little movies with my brother or little sketches, like short films in college. And like, at the end of the day, it is basically the same thing as you were with a camera hopefully they know their lines and you got to get about three to five takes before you move on. You know, it's, it, that was kind of the beautiful thing about like, Oh, as long as you just like making movies, it's just a measure of scale. It's all kind of the same thing. Well, I know in speaking with uh, quite a few of the filmmakers that have worked at Marvel, I always hear and the writers, I always hear that it's much more collaborative than they were thinking. And, and I think that's kind of a, a misnomer for anybody working at you know, from the outside looking in, we just assume Kevin Feige has the hammer, he rules with an iron fist and, you know, you just do what he says. But it, it does sound like in speaking with people like you and everybody else that you guys do have quite a bit of input. Oh, absolutely. Like it's it. Yeah, it's very much a team sport. It does feel like TV writer rooms in that way. And like Kevin, I, yeah, I mean, that guy's I'm not even just saying this to you know, score. I don't want to score points. I don't think I don't think I have any. <laughs> uh, but like pretty smart guy and like and i don't think any of that is is uh i he he gives good notes and he's very down with ideas that beat his i think he's very creative and smart and like he just he knows how these things work in in his blood uh but yeah i mean and peyton's a writer as well and like steven brassard's a good ideas guy and then paul rudd obviously <laughs> like has such a mastery over comedic delivery and he's been with this character for like five movies so like Oh yeah, I, I had a ton of support and, and and frankly a ton of faith. <laughs> like you you know that Paul Rudd is going to put a little spin on your words, or you know that Peyton Reed knows timing very well from the movies that he's made along the way. So like no, I mean it. And then you get to get your own weird ideas in there, and they trust you on this voice of Kane the Conqueror. You get to put weird <laughs> takes on Modoc that make it all the way in. Like so no, I mean I had a, I had a pretty I had a pretty great time over there, all things considered. So we'll get to King of Modoc in a second, but I do want to ask you one other thing, uh, kind of macro level here. Um, I always kind of laugh when I see a Marvel filmmaker compare whatever movie they're working on to like some classic film of the similar, similar tone. Yes. Yes. Have I done that? Well, no, no. So that's, I, I don't think that you have. So oh, the Russo's no, go for I it. I got so much shit on Twitter. I, I'm kind of, a, I mean, I'm just a little sarcastic worm. <laughs> I, I, I say nothing I say I really mean. I got to get better at this. So like, I, I compared some of the visuals to like Jodorowsky's Dune. <laughs> clearly, like, I clearly like a touch, you know, just being a little scamp, being a little rascal, laughing as I say it. And then I just get dragged by film Twitter for two weeks. Uh, so no, no, I've certainly, I, I don't know if that comes from a place of insecurity or you are, you legitimately love those things and want a kernel of them to, to keep on in popular work. I, I don't know. <laughs> the, the one I always reference that still makes me laugh to this day is when the Russos compared, uh, infinity war to a Robert Altman movie. That... I was like, I was like, wow, that that's it. So I guess my question, other than Jodorowsky's Dune, um, <laughs> is there legit, like some influence that would shock where maybe, you know, it's not. Quantum Mania isn't, you know, an Altman movie, but or Jodorowsky, but you know, was there something that creeped in or that you looked as an influence? Oh man, let me think. Let me think of the most pretentious <laughs> <laughs> the way to top Jodorowsky's Dune because <laughs> like that, 
Well, no, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to set you up for film Twitter. No, 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 no. I actually, no. I think it's. I, I, I'm used to it now in a good way. I mean, what I've said in a couple other spots is that I did. I wanted the comedy to feel a little throwback, and like I think for the most part, I did that, and we did that. Like I liked adventure movie comedy. Like I, I liked the way like. Austin Powers just had gags or like a little bit of an elevated tone or a little bit of its own, own ecosystem. And like Modoc, I went with uh, Kevin Klein and a fish called Wanda. Maybe that's, I don't know. <laughs> like he's such an idiot and he's so insecure and yet he is really good at killing people. <laughs> and so you gotta be on edge around that guy. And then I, um, there's this Simpsons episode with Frank Grimes that I used a lot of Modoc in. But I don't know, like, uh, uh, should I just say the Holy Mountain? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, there like with, with Kane, I did try to, I guess Heathcliff from Weathering Heights, it's more of a book cut, but I just love those tortured sort of uh, mysterious souls. Right. <laughs> and, I think, and like, I just tried to really swing with him. And uh, I don't know, the way like death, I guess, in in uh, in the seventh seal or something, like you don't feel like you're quite talking to someone who has your perspective. And I thought giving Kang this more of eternal voice would be interesting and unsettling, but uh, I don't know. I, I hate myself the more I speak. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I'll let you off the hook because uh, yeah, you please, mentioned Kang. You. So let's talk about Kang for a second. He's he's a very complicated villain. I think yeah. anyone who's a fan of the comics, even if you've read them for decades, you'll have trouble kind of explaining Kang. So um, what direction did you have for, you know, writing Kang? Like, what did Marvel say? You know, like, this is what we need. And, and did you have like, if you had freedom, did you look at like all the different versions of Kang and try to narrow it down? Like, where did you start with trying to tackle the Kang puzzle? Yeah, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. He's a really tough character and there's a lot of multiverse stuff out there right now. And if you do time travel in a movie, 50 movies have already done it. You have to reference back to the future. <laughs> you know, you have to get that stuff out of the way. So it's that stuff almost seemed like a minefield that maybe wasn't, worth taking on the first step of the movie i my pitch and certainly i think peyton's pitch and we had all talked on this together was that like as he builds to an avengers movie or as soon as the, the casting for jonathan locked in we really just wanted to focus on the character and like who is this actual guy before we get into big multiverse things and avenger murders and like cameos and time travel stuff like the idea of him being this like exile or this prisoner or uh like again here's the bad references but like i love those conquerors of history in like after a big defeat like napoleon loses in moscow or he loses at waterloo you know he's stuck on an island somewhere or or obviously julius caesar like waging all those victories and coming back to reclaim rome and getting killed or like alexander going all the way to India and losing and not knowing what to do with himself. Like doing that for a guy named Kane the Conqueror seemed kind of interesting and to make it feel like he had all this backstory that we haven't heard and to make it feel like he's in the middle of something we don't know yet. And it, giving him that almost like Robinson Crusoe shipwrecked vibe with Janet Van Dyne, I thought is where the movie really came alive. And you get to see him as just a man and not quite wearing that mantle quite yet in a way he doesn't want to. <laughs> like, and, and I think that's my favorite scene in the movie is like where he and Michelle are talking quietly and you see this like 
traveler through space and time be reminded how much time really matters to someone and, and like he he he's not really lying to her there he is offering her a bit of a gift and a bit of a you know kind of a proving it to himself in a way too that he can still be that you know a, a benevolent person but uh i don't know like it, and then jonathan i mean i cannot say enough about the guy he's so great and like he cares so much in the best way and he's so passionate in a way that i hope i am and i, I hope to be and like he embodied that in a way that I, I cannot say enough. Like you never know if those lines are going to track. You never know if they have the presence to pull it off. Like you know to pull off a line like "Have I killed you before?" or "I will burn them out of time." Like those are pretty arch lines, you know. So like, you you don't know. And he comes in, and I never doubted it. As soon as he said that, you know, that first rehearsal, I mean, blew everybody away with his presence. It, Reminded me a little bit of like Yul Brenner in the old Ten Commandments movie. If you've seen that, or like yeah. the way, and that's I mean I'm not nearly an actor of that caliber. I've, I've I've like pissed myself in front of Liam Neeson for a Jimmy Kimmel live sketch. You know I'm not, but like you really saw the focus that Jonathan brought and the depth he brought to him too, and like the pain and like that was I think what we really liked working on because like there's gonna be plenty of supervillain stuff wherever he shows up, but we got to write this really kind of like lost and yearning cane which is kind of cool to me so you you mentioned the lines and and i think uh correct me if i'm wrong but when you're writing comics you can generally write something that's over the top and ridiculous for a villain to say because it right. just works in that medium as long as the art's half decent right but for a film you're writing dialogue that's interpreted and delivered by a real human yes. um so did that ever cross your mind when you're writing these lines that you would be like oh in a comic this would work like gangbusters but you know, this has got to work with a human. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's why I think I'll go back to that previous answer of like when Jonathan did that, I was like, "Wow, I think it actually is going to work." Like you can get away because I think sometimes, even as a writer, we're afraid to write that way too. Like I love earnestness and I and I love heightened sensibility, and I think sometimes we've gotten into this space where we're afraid to really commit, or we're afraid, so we kind of undercut it with a joke, or we. We don't fully commit to the presence of the character. And again, Jonathan, I've never seen better commitment. And that inspired me to keep writing a little more arch and a little more elevated for Kang, because I think that's what's going to make him special while also still having that kind of natural presence. And then a guy like Paul Rudd, he really is so funny and so good and so precise. So that's on the flip side in a good way of like, I may like what the joke is on the page, but it's like he might have that extra little twist here or and, and it's a good thing to put the I guess to writers out there or whatever it's like you always want to be right of course but I think I've it's been a good thing for me to learn too of like you know what that actor it's theirs too and they get to pop it a little bit and you know what In instinct is pretty good and, and like sometimes your instinct is right sometimes theirs is right and then sometimes both of you are also right <laughs> I don't know, like I like it, it was really fun to see something actually be made and you forget as a writer sometimes it's always just living on the page or you've got it in a word doc somewhere. It's not even a movie until they're actually making it on the stage, you know, and that was a special feeling that I got to feel it like actually being cooked like all of you were cooking it together on the day. Yeah. So um, one more thing about Kang, because in terms of Marvel villains, I think, you know, most are like these world conquering bad guys or aliens from another galaxy like Kang or not Kang. I'm sorry, but like Thanos oh, or yeah. or Ultron, right? Like a robot. But this is a guy who's a human from the far future, variants through time, multiversal, blah, blah, blah. 
um his uh, his origin is so weird and comic booky just yeah. to explain did you ever feel like you know did you ever were you hesitant to fully embrace kang and and try to maybe modernize him and, and lose some of that silver ageness oh oh yeah terrified of course yeah that was certainly there was a version i think one of some of my very first whacks at the character and i think this was before jonathan was cast was a bit more worldly a bit more casual um a bit more modernized and there was decent stuff in there but or or you know whatever but like i think and that peyton was great on this too like pushing me into it and encouraging me and uh it felt like you had to rise to the challenge once jonathan majors was cast and that like made me excited and bolder i think and and it and i think it's going to service the character better too because hopefully if i did my job right or, or or provided some some window into the character you just hopefully you're going to care about this guy <laughs> and and you're right in the comics he's very complicated and he's kind of known but i think that's almost the beauty of the character he's like he's like <laughs> uh, i keep thinking what's going to pop up on twitter like but he is kind of this postmodernist, broken broken figure of a character it's like he doesn't live in a straight line he's almost picasso his whole life and so he's really lost and he's really that means he has to be dead set on who he is right now and that's kind of Kane the conqueror's vibe he refuses to be defined he is going to bend time and the universe to his will but like any conqueror there's a deep loneliness and sadness behind that like they clearly hate themselves and the world they're in and they're trying to like be remembered for something they're trying to build something uh, i think that comes from a place of loneliness and so if you can just get to that sort of aching explorer you know kind of lonely heart of kang that has this impulse to be anything that he's not and like and to kind of uh to to never stop i don't know i think that's all you got to go from and all that sci-fi stuff will come in later and i i don't know i'm rambling in circles i guess like kang but like there i think the beauty and simplicity of the character is in having a broken life and not knowing who you are where you're supposed to be uh, and that's very much the opposite of Thanos, I think, uh, who's yeah. pretty set on something. So I don't know. I'm I'm talking, you know, I'm talking to big <laughs> lasagna right now, but I just love that it's a human being who doesn't have any powers. He's not a god. He's just a human who's been around a while and he's trying to, you know, prevent the house from burning down, I guess, yeah. or or burn down the house. You know, he's he's a he's a complex guy. So uh switching gears a bit, I want to talk about Modoc. Um yes, <laughs> You're you're obviously somebody who's worked at Marvel. I think people are going to think of you as a comic book guy, even though you you aren't like you didn't write comics for twenty years. But regardless, right. you know you know Modok. Um, so was it your idea to introduce Modok? And also, if not, were you at least concerned about changing the origin so much? Right, right. It no, it came up like I think I think it was Peyton's idea. I keep thinking I I believe it was da yeah Peyton and Stephen's idea to make it Darren Cross, which I think is a brilliant idea. I really like that. Um, but then I jumped on the fact of like, oh yeah, if that's Darren Cross and he's had this like weird thing happen to him and he sees the life that Scott Lane has had the last 10 years, it is it, like, you would feel so bad about yourself and so angry at the world. And it just built this sort of like George Costanza version of Modoc that I really liked like this, just this, uh, this futile man who cannot win and who just needs the smallest ounce of like human connection to really just jump at um 
I don't know. And like, as it goes to like the George Tarleton, like original comic book stuff, I'm going to die on this hill. I think we were allowed to assume <laughs> Modoc. I, I he's a great, I mean, he's a fantastic character in the comics. The Hulu show did a very great yeah. straight adaptation of him. They did great jokes there. I feel they covered that base really well. So I think we had the opportunity to do a big cinematic swing with this guy that was in the logic of our movies. I, I'm a Modoc. Uh, <laughs> that Modoc death scene is my, maybe my favorite thing I've ever been able to write. So I, I don't know. I, I, I love the guy. Yeah, I'll take yeah. the hits. I'll will take the hits on that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I was I I guess basically what what why I wanted to ask is I'm so can uh I'm so heartened a lot of times by Marvel because they will stick to the origin for something even if right. it's ridiculous. And this I was like, whoa, they just like were like wholesale throw it out, start over, and that's kind of shocking. Um, right, after right. doing you know a decade plus of of being so so careful, but they've done that like. I mean, even they've they've abandoned a lot of stuff before. They've they've wholesaled like the AIM stuff from Iron Man yeah. three, and like that's what comes to mind. I suppose it, it just like the continuity that was built wasn't really conducive to doing this straight up comic no. adaptation. However, he is a pretty big head, and he's designed only <laughs> to kill him. If those are the two. I'd say those are the two core pillars of Modoc. I'd say we got him. Yeah, yeah. In the way that like Arnim Zola can't be a big guy living inside of a TV head body, like, but he can be this sort of like computerized consciousness in the Winter Soldier. And the way Ultron is made by Iron Man, because that makes more sense, you know, in, yeah. in not made by Hank Pym, you know, in the in in the comics. So I don't know. I think in the MCU, people, you know, I think it's okay to take a couple swings. I'm fine making Modoc Darren. <laughs> <laughs> so um, part of what you did with Quantumania is introduce like this whole new universe, right? Um, and that came with a bunch of new characters. Some of them are like horny Bill Murray. Some are just blobs that want holes, but. I, I got to imagine there were some that made the cutting room floor. Um, so was there anything that you wrote in the script where you're like, oh, I wish this guy would have made it or uh, creature? <laughs> uh, I wish, you know, the whole broccoli guy arc really would have needed that to <laughs> go down. Yeah, there was like, a, there was one scene in that probability storm. I was going to have it be a bit more psychedelic or a bit more like in the mind. <laughs> there was like going to be this, giant uh Werner Herzog voice ant that was like almost animatronic or like David Cronenberg fly style and he was going to be there for the adventure uh there was yeah I mean Hank was going to live in like a hive mind of ants at one point that was fun um I don't know there's just a ton of characters and you try to see what sticks and uh and what paces well for the movie. I played a henchman who got blown up by Modoc. Uh that that was a cruel cut. <laughs> that was a hard loss. <laughs> I don't know, but overall like I think man, there's like how many main characters in this? 6 and then you, yeah. have, to, you have to balance a top-tier villain with more of like a commonplace comedic villain. Um so there's a there's a lot to dance with. I I'm fine with the cuts they made. Probably smart on their part. Right. So uh, I want to ask you, because I very rarely do I get to speak with a writer after the movie's kind of been out. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I'm curious with, because now you have perspective, you've, you've seen how the movie's performed, both critics and box office and all that. Um, but I saw something where you said recently, maybe it was like yesterday, where you said that you saw the movie with crowd with a crowd and it really like, it erased all the negatives that you were hearing because you got to see it like play in front of an audience. So I'm curious, obviously you want a movie to be like, you know, win the Oscar for best picture every time you write it. But was it was it nice knowing that the audience ate it up and that also you've got Kang Dynasty to, to work on too? It was like, 
I mean, I'm still riding the wave, man. It's been out for like two weeks. So it's a very, like, I mean, it was wild. I think that first weekend we made more than like Top Gun Maverick and the Robert Pattinson Batman. And I was like, God damn, that's pretty good for Ant-Man 3. <laughs> and then, I mean, like, that, what am I even trying to say? Like, it was a, I'm from a town of 200 people. We didn't even have a movie theater in my in my town. Like, it really snuck up on me when I had my brother and my parents. Like, they don't really come out to L.A. a lot. And as I would bring them to the premiere, and I was sitting next to my brother. And, you know, there's, I don't know, I'll give you the Loveness family history <laughs> later. <laughs> but, like, it was a really cathartic moment where I'm like, wow, I used to make movies with this little guy. And and I got to make a movie that I think he liked too. And then in the vein of like one of those movies you would have seen with your cousin on a Sunday afternoon or something. And I got to put like big dumb jokes in there. And I got to really write, hopefully this, this you know, beginning to, I just to work with Jonathan Majors was like such a thrill and Michelle Pfeiffer, like writing those scenes together. So I don't know, man. I think I'm taking it in stride. It's fun to have a divisive movie. I feel like I've, <laughs> I've either, I'm not quite sure what I've done, but I like the movie and it's been so lovely to see people who get it, get it and really be down for the ride and laughing at the jokes and digging what Jonathan is building with the character. So yeah, man, I mean, I'm, I'm having a good time with it. And, and I'm, I, I think, you know, you take the punches that come, but I'm excited for the next thing that I'm going to make. And I, I don't know, Making movies is the best thing in the world. <laughs> I never thought I'd have a chance to do one, and I did, and it turns out it rocks. There you go. So let's talk about, well, maybe not the next next, but for for comic book fans, the the only other thing you're ever going to do with your life, which is write a Kang Dynasty movie. Oh, um, boy. <laughs> I know you can't, you can't spill any details. I'm not going to do that. But uh, what I do want to ask you is, what does it feel like as a fan of these movies, of these characters, yeah. and of movies, to be the guy who writes the first Avengers movie after Endgame. <laughs> Especially after like the last two weeks I've had. <laughs> well, no, not not in that context, but just like, you know, no, no, Endgame no, no. was oh, so huge. It's so like, huge. And it was no, a cultural it, moment. So It feels like comedic. It feels like, uh, it feels like I've, uh, I don't know. Like it, 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 it's like, it feels like you're losing. How do you, I'm not even sure what to say. I don't want to get taken out of context. It's the biggest challenge in the world. You, It's like comedically how big this challenge is. Like there is literally no more pressure, no bigger movie, no bigger canvas, no bigger fan base, no bigger expectations. <laughs> and it like the enormity of that was not lost on me and certainly isn't. But I also feel like, holy hell, like this is insane and wonderful. And I get the chance to take the biggest swing at the biggest movie in the world. And like, and I've gotten one under my belt and now I get to write another and I'm feeling like excited and hungry. And I clearly like, I'm ready to like run for it, man. Like I'm, I'm excited to take a run at it. And now that like, I don't know. I can't. Yeah, of course. I can't say anything. I got to get better at talking in interviews. <laughs> I feel like I'm just a normal guy and I'm always blabbing away. But man, I, I think people, uh, you haven't seen you haven't seen nothing yet from Jonathan Majors and what he can do with this character. So, I mean, keep an eye on that guy. So I, I want to bring you back down to earth a little bit because I'm going to ask you because you're also 
in writing Kang Dynasty, you're in this odd situation where you're writing a huge Avengers movie, but one that leads into another huge Avengers movie. Sure, and sure. not only is it just any other huge Avenger movie, movie, it's Secret Wars, which as a comic book fan is like, you know, probably the pinnacle of Marvel crossover stories. It's so incredible. Yeah. What does that feel like that you get to write the Avengers movie that isn't Secret Wars? But does that give you a little bit more freedom to, to take chances or, or how do you feel about that? I don't know. Uh, I Again, <laughs> I, mean, I need to get better at the NDAs of it all. I. I feel the best part of this is that like, well, Michael Waldron's a great writer and we were, fr we, we met in the Rick and Morty room. We were, became close buddies. He's a great writer in ways that I'm not. And, and like, I think we have a nice little yin and yang, but we're writing different movies and, and they're different projects. Like, we'll we'll chat a little bit, but um, I think that guy is going to hit a home run with this. I think he's, I, I think he's the real deal. Um, so I don't know. I feel excited that I get to crack one character like Kang. Like I, I really want to focus on that character. And if I had a character, I would get to write with an actor I want to write. I can't think of a better one than Jonathan Majors as Kane the Conqueror. So I'm just trying to focus on my movie. You know, I, we're we're both kind of bowling right now and we'll see we'll see how they both end up and tie together and and i think we're building something cool together but i don't know man i'm getting ready for it like i'm gonna jump off this interview and like try to figure out <laughs> how to beat the biggest movie of all time like i feel like <laughs> i've gone insane but maybe in a good way i'm like oh okay now i like you literally get like a dream come true and it's like okay Here's day two. <laughs> like, you got that dream. Uh, you actually got to get those pages out. So I don't know, man. Like I'm actually, I like, it's this shocking thing. I feel like I won the lottery or I'm like one of those kids that didn't die in Willy Wonka. <laughs> and yet it's a huge challenge and a huge responsibility. And at the same time, I just want to write a movie that's fun and, and is something you can watch on Sunday with your cousins. <laughs> so like, I, uh, I'm going to dive in, man. I'm, I'm pretty ready for it. So uh, one last question real quick before, before I let you go. Uh, I have to talk about your, your acting career because you brought it up. You had a small but fun role in The Office of all oh, shows. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so how often do people come up to you and say like, oh, shit, I had no idea you're in The Office? Very. I mean, it, it is a deep. I have like three lines. Like I would not even call myself <laughs> much of an actor. I can act confused and like wounded like a deer. That's about it. Or angry. <laughs> Those are my three modes. Uh, it every once in a while. And I always appreciate it because that is such a deep cut. I have like three lines. I'm a kid who gets off a bus. Um, I remember it like it was yesterday. I've seen that show wild. so many times. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess on the rewatches now people are seeing it, but I don't know. I, I don't think I can really claim any ownership. of. <laughs> I was there for like a week and, and I said three things. However, there's an anecdote I think about all the time. And it really inspired me when I was there, you know, you're just a kind of an, a day player. I was there for like a week, you know, not a big role in the episode, but I, and I was still making YouTube stuff with my friends in college. And I, um, I would always crinkle up my script and like you would always hide it in your pocket or you'd put it away and it would always be in the back of a shot somewhere. <laughs> It'd always be on a desk or like just, you know, college student kind of budget levels. And I always remember thinking, I'm such an amateur. I can't even remember all my lines. I have to look at them before I go and crinkle it up. Oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not so good. And I remember on that set, Steve Carell's in the bus 
and he takes his little script out of it, out of his pants pocket. It's all crinkled up and he's mouthing the lines and he crinkles it up and puts it in again. Exactly what I was doing, like with my friends making YouTube stuff. And that like broke the ceiling for me. I'm like, oh, he's doing it too. <laughs> like maybe all actors are nervous and trying to figure it out and need that little crinkled up script in their pocket. And he was so nice to everybody. Like I never forgot that. I That like, and he, I, I mean, I never even spoke to him. Like I just saw it from afar. But man, I never forgot that. It made acting seem like a real thing you could do if you worked hard and were lucky. Um, yeah, no, that, that's what I remember most from The Office. That's <laughs> Just awesome. seeing that like great thing that Steve Carell inadvertently did for me. <laughs> well, thank you so much uh, for talking with me, Jeff. It's, it was great. I think we covered quite a bit, but uh, I'm, I'm a big nerd, so I'm super excited about Kang uh, and, and whatever else Marvel has you up to because hey. they like to keep people around. So thank Thanks you. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, good, nice talking to you. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.